Hello and welcome to Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon and Chief Clinical Officer for Work To Be Well. Here with me today to talk about the sexual assault awareness and prevention are a couple of students from our National Student Advisory Council. But first, as a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The topic we're gonna to talk about today can be triggering for some. So I wanna encourage you to take care of yourself. If you find that this is difficult to listen to, you can always press pause and come back and listen another time. We'll still be here on your favorite podcast platform, whatever you choose. But right now, taking care of you is what's important. So let's get started. Dominic and Aureli, I'd like you to each introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, and why is this topic important? Dominic, kick us off. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. I am Dominic. I am a member of Work to Be Well's National Student Advisory Council, um, coming to you from Burbank, California. And I believe that this topic is important because just of how relevant it is, you know, in, in today's climate. I mean, we're hearing about, you know, huge cases of sexual assault, and, you know, with billionaires and, you know, politicians and all of that. But you're also hearing about it in small town communities and in cities. And it's such a prevalent issue among, you know, so many communities and in so many lives. And so I think that, uh, you know, because of that, it's important that we talk about it. You know, it's important that we talk about anything that's, you know, relevant and, this is something that's significantly relevant, especially among, you know, teenagers and, you know, the community, the youth community. Okay, awesome. Hello, um, my name is Areli Rosales, and I'm also on the board for Work To Be Well, and I'm from El Paso, Texas. Um, personally, unfortunately, I had my own sexual assault history, and therefore I'm very passionate and giving a voice to other people. I know myself, I struggled having my own voice and being okay with talking about something like this. Um, so I definitely feel it's very important to bring awareness and start these important conversations for everybody to feel okay and to have people to lean on in the same instance. Well, I really wanna thank you both for, for coming and talking about what is not gonna be an easy conversation. But it's also a very important conversation. And let's start with some of the basics. You know, we hear a lot about sexual assault. We hear a lot about sexual harassment. But those are two different things. And I wonder if you could talk about, you know, what is sexual assault and how is that different from sexual harassment? I think um, sexual assault is definitely more taking the action um, without the consent of a person. Um, in a sexual manner. And I think sexual assault differs from that, um, kind of maybe hinting or making inappropriate comments or actions that may someone feel uncomfortable in a sexual way. I think that kind of differentiates between the both. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that like there is obviously some overlap, um, which can make it difficult to understand these these concepts because you know, there is certain overlap, you know, where harassment and assault can both be, you know, like relevant to a situation. But I agree that like harassment, you know, is more, you know, verbal. Um, and it can also lead to like action. But like assault is more, 
you know, serious because it's more, you know, focused on action and like, and behavior uh, rather than, you know, just sort of like verbal communication, which is also still very serious. You know, I, I think that that differentiation really brings and hinges a lot also in something really that, that you mentioned consent and what is consent and how does somebody get proper consent? That's a great question. Um, a question that I don't believe is being asked uh, nearly enough. Um, consent, you know, is when two people are willing and able and they are informed about a certain situation and, and they want to be a part of a situation for specifically what we're talking about. Um, you know, it's like when someone is, you know, passion, not passionately, but they're, you know, they're, they're willingly and able to participate in certain actions. Um, they know what's going on. They're not under the influence of specific substances. Um, and they are giving like a willing and a definite yes to a certain action. And that's sort of where, you know, some people don't really understand like consent because it's not just like the absence of no, and it's not like, you know, an okay or like a sure, like it's a definite yes. It's, it's, it's a, it's a state where you know that everyone involved is 100%, you know, comfortable with being involved in a certain situation. Right. I think you said that perfectly, Dominic. Um, I think it also, it gets tricky, I think, in relationships because um, it's kind of like assuming like it's going to be the, going to be a yes. But I think what Dominic said, it's really important to make sure that they're both on the same page and that there's a definite yes, because even if there's a slight, oh, I kind of don't want to, then that can lead into something that it shouldn't. So I definitely agree with everything you said. Well said, Dominic. Well, and I think it's interest, interesting that you bring up the idea of the the absence of no. So if someone does not explicitly say no, that doesn't presume consent, correct? Yes, correct. For sure. Yeah, that's, you know, uh, a few years ago, I remember there was a, a great video short on YouTube uh, about, came out of England, I think it was uh, England or Canada or something like that, that uh, was put out by the uh, local police agency talking about uh, tea and the drinking of tea. And, and if somebody, you know, if somebody says, yes, I'd like a cup of tea, then you can pour them a cup of tea. But if they don't say that they want a cup of tea, don't pour them a cup of tea. And, and it gets almost to the point of being amusing where it says, you know, if, if someone is obviously passed out, they don't want tea. And, and things like that are, I think, part of what you're getting to. And it goes to that idea also of can you, you know, when you coerce somebody into saying yes, um, come on, you know, it's not that bad. It's not this. It's not that. Is that consent? No, I think at that point, it kind of becomes sexual harassment, kind of trying to get you to do something that you really don't want to do. Um, and I think that really puts a person in a very uncomfortable and unnecessary situation, because if it's a no, then it's a no. There's no convincing them to do otherwise. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I just have to say that this specific, 
you know, question is so, is so important to be asking because, I mean, I'm a high school student, you know, we're both high school students here. We hear things, you know, topics related to this and concepts and, and you can't even imagine how many times I've heard someone say that they were, you know, you know, coerced into doing something that they didn't feel comfortable doing. And then you wouldn't like, and I hear so many times people saying, oh, well, that's not assault because they said yes. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. You know, if, if you say no to something at one time, two times, three times, four times, no matter how many times you say it, you obviously don't want to be doing the thing that you're doing. And so, and if it requires coercion, uh, I mean, obviously something's wrong there. And so I think it's good that we're asking this question because so many people don't realize that coercion is assault. It's, it's harassment and it can lead to assault. And so many people don't realize that that is even a part of this conversation to be had. So I think that it's a great idea to add this question. So moving on from the idea of consent and kind of talking about sexual assault and sexual assault awareness, there's a lot of press these days about sexual assault, especially in Hollywood, especially with celebrities and sexual harassment and things like that. There's been uh, a lot of conversations about that. But my question to you is, is, is the way society speaks about and deals with actually effective? Are we, are we making a difference? Is this helping? Um, personally, I feel like the conversations and the way they're occurring isn't as effective. I think people um, still see it as a concept that's like kind of brushed aside, like, oh, like that just happened to a person when in reality, it's much more deeper than that and much more serious, especially to the victim involved. And I think um, the way that it's constantly like reoccurring doesn't help either because it just makes it kind of like, oh, it's a normal thing or like, oh, that's just what happens when in reality it shouldn't be happening at all. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think I also agree that I think it's, it's not effective the way that society is, you know, dealing with these situations, especially because, you know, the way in which that we deal with it and the effort, like where we put the effort. I think is misguided because, you know, we're putting the efforts into tightening dress codes and telling women what and what they can wear and what they can't wear and, you know, what times they should be going out at night and what times they shouldn't and, you know, what weapons to bring with them. And it's like, obviously, being safe is a priority, but clothing isn't an invitation for sex. Uh, nothing is an invitation for sex except for a clear and definite yes these traditional ways that we're thinking about sexual assault and the way that we're trying to prevent it, it is not correct because we shouldn't be focusing on how we can fix, you know, fix quote unquote, uh, the way that the witch survivors act and behave. And I think that we should start, you know, directing our attention and our effort towards people who are assaulting people. And we should be putting prevention methods in instead of saying, oh, your skirt is too short or, oh, you shouldn't be going out at night because obviously safety is a priority. But I think a priority that we are not having at the moment is stopping people from assaulting other people. Wow, Dominic, you said that so well. I don't think people realize that we're sometimes adjusting our ways to help the survivors and the victims. And instead, we're trying to adjust ourselves in a way that we shouldn't have. We shouldn't have to worry about where we're wearing or where we're going because it should be fixed within the people that are um, doing harm instead, instead of the people that are, have been harmed. So really good point. You know, I really like that you're addressing some of these common misconceptions about sexual assault and sexual harassment. There's been such a culture uh, and you see it in things like school dress codes. You know, your skirt is too short. 
your top, you know, the strap on your top should be two inches, not, you know, one inch or whatever. You know, she was asking for it because she wore a low cut blouse or whatever it is. All those types of things are part of the misconceptions around sexual assault and sexual assault awareness. And then you also talked a lot about the idea of if you go out late at night, that's setting, you're setting yourself up. Um, all those types of things are, are common. What are some other misconceptions that you've seen out there? Um, I think for me, one that I've seen most common um, is when survivors come out a few or a while later um, speaking upon what they experience and people don't validate that because they're like, well, if it happened then, why didn't you say anything then? Why are you doing something about it now? And I think that's very harmful because when you experience a very traumatic um, thing like sexual assault, it's very hard to speak up and very hard to gain the courage to speak up when a society has not um, allowed survivors to be heard. And I think it's very important for people to know that no matter what time it happens and the victim and the survivor has every right to decide when they want to speak up about it. Yeah, that was very well said. I, I, I totally agree that, you know, we shouldn't be giving a time frame to survivors, like saying you have to speak up like a year after or within a year after, like that's none of our business telling a survivor when and how to speak up. And, and another misconception that I've been hearing a lot is like, oh, well, their story is sort of like missing pieces or it's like, it's not really coherent. So because of that, they must be lying. And, and that's so aggravating because people don't realize that that's such a common trauma response is to not remember a coherent story about like what happened to you because, I mean, it's traumatic. It's how your body responds. It's how your memory responds by, you know, by like mixing it up and trying to forget something that's happened to you. And so people are like, oh, well, you know, she's missing a detail or, oh, she didn't know what color clothes he was wearing or oh she didn't know this and that or they didn't know this and that or he didn't know this and that so he must be lying or they must be lying and I'm like if only people realize that that's such a common response to a traumatic experience and that that's so common amongst survivors of sexual assault and rape and harassment it's just it's it just like this is all accessible like on the internet so the fact that people just don't know this it's really aggravating. And, and there's so many misconceptions circulating around sexual assault and, and harassment. So I think that's, it's so important that we're actually discussing this right now. You know, I love that you bring up the trauma response and how trauma response can change and shift memory. And, and it's very important for folks to understand that you tell your story in your time, in your way. This isn't a produced television program where you know, things happen in a linear, linear fashion. And sometimes it takes time for people to even realize that they've been sexually assaulted to begin with. And they may think that a given situation was okay and not realize really until later that they had not given consent. And there's a lot of things that happen along with that. There's embarrassment, there's confusion. There's that feeling of, I should have known better. I shouldn't have got myself in that situation. And all of the shoulds in that. And I think that's part of, of what we've got to figure out through programs like this, where we're talking about it. How do we better support survivors of sexual assault so they can safely tell their stories? I think that 
one of the first steps that we can take is, is to create an atmosphere of acceptance and understanding. Um, because, you know, right now at the moment, people like to think that, oh, like survivors are, are not necessarily like telling the truth and that they're only like out there for the money or whatever they believe is the truth. Um, and that they're like, you know, they're, they're susceptible to lying and like, but like lying is a big issue when I think I read somewhere that it's only like 2% of all cases are ever actually like found to be like untruthful. Um, and it's like, and we don't even, and that's not even like a good gauge because there are so many people who have never come out with their story before. And so I think that just creating an environment where we believe survivors um, until proven otherwise and creating an environment where we're, you know, investing into mental health resources for survivors and, you know, we're actually supporting them and we're not, you know, condoning the behavior of their abuser by, you know, being friends with them and and saying and feeling and apologizing for them and saying all of this other things and making excuses for people. I just think that the first step we need to do, we need to, you know, achieve is just to be more understanding and accepting of others and be more supporting. And and that's like not like a community-based change or like a, you know, a systemic change. That's just like an individual change. Just being a better person to others is a can, you know, go a long way. Yes, I definitely agree. I think um, the change starts within us and ourselves. And I also do believe that people need to be willing to learn um, different things that are, can occur to a person. Like what you said, Dominic, about the trauma response. We also need to be willing to understand in a way that we have to learn and we have to go out of our way to gain those resources and that research so we can understand as well, not just know it on top of our heads. You know, when we're thinking about how we better support survivors, what can we do to prevent sexual assault to begin with? You know, if you could if you could wave a magic wand, if you could create a campaign, what could we do to prevent sexual assault? I mean, personally, what I would do first is to create or to incorporate, you know, the concept of consent and the concept of assault and harassment and rape into our normal school curriculum. Uh, treat it like, you know, um, like math and like English and teach kids what consent is and teach kids that, you know, coercion is not consent and that consent cannot be given um, if someone's under the influence and, you know, given like these, these things that we should be <laughs> being taught instead of, you know, I mean, you know, some people need algebra, whatever, but like, how are we learning about like, you know, equations and stuff like that, but we're not learning about how to treat other people with respect and to respect their boundaries and, you know, not violate the another person's sanctity or, you know, their body in a way that's just so terrible. So I think that one good way is, is to incorporate, you know, these concepts into school curriculum because why shouldn't we be teaching students to respect each other and, and how to understand that, like, you know, understand consent and understand that it's not okay to be doing certain things. And I just don't understand why things like this are not incorporated in, in our school curriculum already. Yes, I'm going to have to agree with you, Dominic. I think definitely, I mean, the United States, at one point, all of us go to school. So I think that's a very effective way to reach a lot of people. And as well in um, sexual education class, when you're learning about how to put on a condom or how to do things, it's learning also how to know when a person has given you consent and verbal consent and for sure indefinite, yes, um, before continuing in any type of thing. 
You know, I think that's, I think you're right. I think education in schools and through, and through student health curriculum is, is really, really important. I know back in the day when uh, I was going to college, you know, we, we had the requisite learning about preventing sexual assault and, and it was always the stranger danger, you know, here's how, if you're walking to your car, you hold your car keys in this way so you can poke somebody's eye out. But the reality is most sexual assaults happen with people we know. If we think about that for a minute, most sexual assaults happen with people, you know, not necessarily people, you know, well, but somebody who you may have just met at a party, somebody who you may have, you know, it's, it's not a back room. Somebody's going to kidnap you from the street. That actually is, is less common than someone you meet usually in a social situation, uh, or even sexual assault can happen with someone you're in a relationship with when somebody goes too far in that lack of consent. So what are some safety tips that you could give our listeners about how you protect yourself in situations? If you're going to a party, what are some of the rules you use to live by to, to just add that extra layer of, of protection? Um, so, well, for me, I have kind of, cause I mean, I'm in a privileged position because I am a man. And so I, and I realize that and I, res, and I understand that and I use, you know, my privilege as a man to help other people who are, you know, at a disadvantage in this situation specifically. And so uh, I kind of, I don't like to say it's a rule, but like a standard that I like my friends to follow is that if they are going on a date with someone that they've never met before, they send their location to three other people because you know, what if two of them are not available? There always will be one person. Because if there's three people, there's always going to be one person that's available. So I always like to say that. And I always offer that they can send their location to me. And and if anything happens, they can let me know and I'll be there and I'll help them and I'll support them. Also, if you're at a party, drinking uh, drinks that are just laying out that are not covered, that are not sealed, never a good idea. Uh, I had an experience where I did that at a party and there was something in the drink that caused me to, you know, be disorientated and it was not a good experience. So preventing that um, at all costs and trust me, I will never be doing that again. <laughs> um, just, you know, if you see an inv individual that you have a gut feeling um, is something's wrong there, trust your gut, trust your instinct. Uh, it usually doesn't let you down. And, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom at a party or you have to leave the party, make sure someone walks with you. Um, I, I know these are things that we shouldn't have to do, but sadly we do. We live in an environment in a world that, uh, you know, certain people have to do these things to survive. And so, you know, just looking up safety tips and following them, having mace on you, having it. some people, I have a friend that has a taser, just, you know, being equipped, being ready for any situation is the best that you can do. Well, Dominic covered everything. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. But yes, definitely. I, as a girl myself, I always have to go to the restroom with my girlies. Well, if I'm going, three of you are coming with me. I'm not going alone. Um, and definitely um, setting boundaries, being able to say no to if someone offers you a drink, no, thank you. Or if someone offers you a ride, like, no, I'm okay. I'll find my own ride. Um, I think getting comfortable with saying no to situations you have a good feeling or you don't know the person or you don't feel comfortable with the person, establishing that boundary, then like, I'm not going to let myself and you're not going to have access to me that easily. I love that. You trust your gut. You got to trust your gut. And I think along those same lines, um, uh, 
the idea that you travel in packs and you work together. And if you go to a party, you don't go alone, especially to a party where you don't know anybody. Always bring a friend. Three is great. Three is a good number. And check up on your friends. If you're with a friend who's been drinking at a party and they think that this person they've just met is all that in a bag of chips and your gut says no, you know, you may have to take that friendly step and say, I'm not comfortable letting you go home with that person. I'm I'm not comfortable with this. We're going to go, you know, you can get the number and call them another time, but we got to take a little bit of a break here. Uh the worst feeling in the world is when you know something's not right and you don't step in. And I think we've all been there in those situations where we've seen something and we didn't say something. And that's and that's an awful feeling. So if you see something, say something. I want to, in our, in our last few minutes here, talk about um, resources that are available for survivors. If you've been in a situation, if you realize that you may have been sexually assaulted if you're being sexually harassed or anything like that what do you do who do you go to um for me personally i'm 911 i for any hotlines and for me it's difficult to remember i have to write it down so if you feel like you're in a situation that you think is going to go badly or if you don't feel comfortable i think that is like the automatic or the easiest way to get a hold of someone for help um, but I don't know if you guys have any hotlines or things like that that you might like to mention. Uh, I do have a resource that I would like to share as I am um, a volunteer at this said resource. So it's called Teen Line. It's a youth hotline available for teens who are looking for a teenager to speak with about their personal experience, about something that they're dealing with. So if you need support, you can call at um, 800-852-8336. And no, I don't have that memorized. I'm reading that off my screen right now. Or you can text TEEN to 839 863 um, from 6 to 10 p.m. from 6 to 9 p.m. for texting and 6 to 10 p.m. for calling. There's also a youth line, which you can call at 877-968-8491. And one resource that I utilize a lot is called au.reachout.com. Um, and that's an informational website, but they also have resources available for you to utilize if you need support. Um, and so, you know, if you're not even sure if you've been assaulted, check that out. They have resources where you can figure out if you've possibly been assaulted or harassed or where you should go if you, you know, if you need further support. And those are some resources that uh, I suggest using. Obviously, there's also the National uh, Sexual Assault Hotline. I don't know the number to that, um, but there are so many resources available to you. You just have to find them and utilize them. I definitely think that's a case of letting your fingers do the walking on the Internet. We are going to make life a whole lot simpler for everybody when we go live with the 988 system later on this year, and 988 will be available. And in fact, it's available now. If you dial 988, you will get the National Suicide Hotline, and they can definitely direct you to the right type of services that you need. But the bottom line message here is you are not alone. There is always somebody here to listen. And if you want to talk, we got ears and we've got ears all over the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are not alone. Dominic and Arely, I really want to thank you for spending time with us today, talking about sexual assault awareness, talking about a super difficult topic that can be, again, very triggering for people. 
And really a very important thing that we need to be raising awareness in all of our schools with all of our teens, because I guarantee everybody knows somebody who's been assaulted. I guarantee it. It is that common and it's going to be on all of us to help break those numbers down. I want to thank you all for joining me on Talk To Be Well. And I know this is a very personal conversation and I want to thank you both for being open and sharing your wisdom. If you are looking for support with your mental health or any other medical questions, please visit providence.org. And for parents, teachers, and students, and to see all of the great resources that Dominic talked about, they are all can be found at worktobewell.org. That's work the number two bewell.org. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. Take care and be well.